All right. If so, ask Brother John if he would. Thanks, Lord, word of prayer. Amen. Somebody got something on your heart, something you need to do. You mind the Lord this evening. pray for me tonight. We'll turn with you if you will. Exodus 27. You pray for me tonight. Uh, I'll be honest with you. My mind just feels like a jumble. Uh, I've been here since 8 o'clock this morning and uh, tried to study just a little bit. Seemed like the Lord changed my direction a little bit this morning. I come up here early to uh, kind of just change a few things on my outline. Uh, then I went right after the service and went and got me just a little bite to eat. I come back and I've uh, been working on things ever since. And uh, had a deacon's meeting at 4.30, and I was trying to get everything ready, and literally just finished up on about half of what I needed to do by the time they pulled up. And then we had the deacon's meeting, and that went to just literally by the time we walked up the steps, and uh, just seems like it's just been bam, 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 bam. And uh, so you bear with me, and uh, I'll try to give you the best I can what the Lord's laid on my heart tonight. Exodus chapter 27, you don't have to stand tonight uh, in honor and reverence of the reading, but we'll, we'll read several verses, uh, but you just read with me if you will. Bible said in verse number 1, Thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, the height thereof shall be three cubits. Thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. And thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes, and his shovels, and his basins, and his flesh hooks, uh, and his fire pans, and all the vessels thereof shalt thou make of brass. Thou shalt make it for a grate of network of brass, and upon the net shalt thou make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof. Thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath, that the net may be even to the midst of the altar. Thou shalt make staves for the altar, staves of shittim wood, overlay them with brass. And the staves shall be put into the rings, and the staves shall be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it. Hollow with boards shalt thou make it as it was hewn, the, uh, as it was showed thee in the mount, uh, so shall they make it. Now, uh, we've come tonight, we've looked at several things over the last several weeks. Uh, uh, concerning the tabernacle. Now, uh, I don't have time tonight to give you all the things to recap, but uh, we looked, we did a few things by way of introduction, looked at the tabernacle as a whole. Uh, uh, then we spent some time that second night
that, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, on the outer fence and that gate. Remember the gate always faced uh, uh, toward the east. And then we uh, spent some time looking at the foundation of the tabernacle. And uh, we looked at the walls of the tabernacle. Uh, spent a few weeks looking at the coverings of the tabernacle. Uh, uh, then if I mistaken, I believe I'm right about this, the last thing we looked at uh, uh, was the Wednesday before revival, we looked at the pins uh, and the cords that held the, the roof of the tabernacle on. Now, uh, with all that being said, we've looked at a lot, but uh, we've still got a long, long ways to go. I look today, uh, I've been trying to plan out a few weeks in advance, and uh, today I look, and we're on, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, this is message number number seven on the tabernacle, and I'd say we probably got at least 18 more to go, probably a little bit more, maybe. Uh, we'll spend probably two nights on the altar, that's what I want to look at tonight, uh, uh, but we've covered a lot of ground. We've looked at the foundation, we've looked at the coverings, uh, uh, we've looked at the structure itself somewhat, but uh, now I want to begin something that'll take us several weeks to go through, probably... <coughs> Excuse me, probably at least eight weeks. And I want to look a little while at the, the furniture uh, uh, of the tabernacle. Now, here's how we're going to do it, all right? As you come in the east gate uh, uh, into the outer court, remember that's that outer court on the inside. When you come into the outer court, uh, uh, that you come to the furniture in a certain order. Uh, first thing you come to is the brazen altar, and it's right in front of the gate. Then, as you go past the altar, you'll find yourself at the brazen laver. And uh, then as you pass through the pass around the brazen laver, uh, uh, you enter into the holy place uh, and you find a few things. Uh, uh, to, the, to your right, as you enter into the holy place, there'll be the table of showbread. Uh, uh, to your left, there'll be the golden candlestick. Uh, and directly in front of you, will be the altar of incense. Now, that's five pieces of furniture. That's the brazen altar, the brazen laver, uh, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, uh, and the golden candlestick has five pieces. Then as you enter on through the tabernacle itself uh, and go through the veil, you find yourself in the holy of holies uh, or the most holy place. Uh, that's where the very presence of God dwells. Uh, and in the holy of holies, you'll find two more pieces of furniture, uh, seven in your Bibles, all always significant uh, and you'll find inside the Holy of Holies uh, uh, you'll find the Ark of the Covenant uh, and on top of the Ark the Mercy Seat so there's seven pieces of furniture we'll deal at least two weeks with the altar and uh, maybe more than that with some maybe two or three weeks with some of the others uh, uh, but for the next at least eight weeks we'll be uh, on this furniture now that's significant in the way that it's laid out you'll see that as we go through through, uh, uh, but tonight, if the Lord hit me, I won't do a few minutes uh, uh, here with this altar. It's the first thing uh, uh, that you see as you pass through the gate. Now, we've talked a lot about that over the last several weeks, the difference uh, uh, between the one on the outside and the one on the inside. Uh, everything looks different on the inside, isn't that right? Uh, uh, and from the outside, all you see is, uh, uh, is the badger skin. Uh, uh, has 
no appeal, has no beauty, no comeliness, just looks drab and bluish gray. But to the priest on the inside of the tabernacle, you see the gold, the, 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 the fine linen and the gold of the purple and the white, and the scarlet and the blue and the cherubims, and the gold of the walls. You see all the beauty on the inside. Now, so everything looks different when you find yourself in the presence of God. And this furniture is significant to let us know what must be done to enter into the presence of God. So let's look tonight just a few minutes at this altar. Now, notice with me first of all, if you would, the picture of the altar. Now, you say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, let's look at it together. As you pass through the eastern gate, entering in the outer court, uh, the very first thing you'd see was the altar. Uh, uh, it wasn't the holy place. It wasn't the holy of holies. Uh, it wasn't the laver. It wasn't the table of showbread. Uh, uh, but the very first thing that could be seen, uh, as soon as you entered into the, into the outer court, uh, uh, was the altar. Now, uh, let me say this. Uh, uh, the word altar signifies uh, and means means to lift up. That's what it means. Uh, it was a high place, if you would. Now, we understand what we mean by altar. Uh, it was the altar of, it was an altar burnt offering. Uh, it was a place where sacrifice was made. Uh, here's what happens. If you was in the Old Testament economy uh, and an Israelite, Ronald, you'd bring, uh, uh, you'd bring your offering to the priest uh, and the priest would shed the blood of that animal uh, and pour the blood out at the foot of the altar uh, uh, place the animal on the altar uh, as a burnt offering to the Lord now it was a place of death uh, it was a place of sacrifice it was a place uh, of bloodshed uh, uh, now keep all that in mind and what it mean uh, uh, to be lifted up that ought to start sounding familiar right here in just a minute uh, uh, God help me I'm thinking of another place uh, uh, where you where a man was lifted up and it was a place of death it was a place of sacrifice it was a place of suffering it was a place of bloodshed let me say this tonight that this altar is a picture and a type of the cross of Christ you say preacher I don't know about that Jesus said himself in John 12 32 this is what he said and I if I be lifted up from the earth uh, uh, will draw all men unto me. Uh, uh, you realize that Calvary uh, uh, they lifted him up suspended him between heaven and earth uh, and the spotless Lamb of God uh, uh, sacrificed himself is what the book of Hebrews told us uh, in our stead. Uh, uh, this altar tonight is a picture uh, of the cross. It's a picture of Calvary. Uh, uh, that makes sense doesn't it as we're in into the presence of God uh, uh, the first thing that a man must find himself at uh, is at Calvary uh, isn't that right you never enter the presence of God uh, until you've first been by the way of Calvary uh, uh, so we see the picture of the altar it pictures uh, uh, the cross it pictures Calvary uh, uh, but not only that I want you to notice the purpose of the altar now remember immediately you come through the gate and there you'd have encountered the altar now, here's what happened. As you entered in the gate, immediately, here's this altar. 
fact, it would have been, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it would have been the largest of all the furniture mentioned for the tabernacle. It was the largest. As you're in through the gate, here's this altar, burnt offering. Now, let me show you what it did. It barred you from entering into the presence of God. You could not get past the altar. In order to get in the presence of God, John, you had to go by the way of the altar. Is that right? And if you didn't want to go by the way of the altar, if you didn't want to make sacrifice, uh, the only way to get past the altar uh, uh, was for you to be willing to accept that something uh, had to die in your stead. Isn't that right? If you didn't, if you wasn't willing to go by that way, uh, that was as far as you could have gotten. Uh, uh, you'd have stayed on this side of the altar. Uh, uh, but for those that were willing to be able to shed, to be able to accept the shed blood, uh, uh, willing to accept that something had to die sacrifice had to be made uh, it barred access into the presence of God uh, except by the way of shed blood isn't that right yeah. that was its purpose you had to shed blood in order to enter in the presence of God if you refused to do so you could not enter in the presence of God but let me say this I'm getting a little bit outside of my notes but that be alright not only did it bar access it also granted access is that right this altar, if I if I had to come and I, if I had to come and brought my offering to the priest, I, and he'd have said, "All right, this lamb has to die on the altar." And I said, "No, that that that's not sufficient. I, I, I can't accept it. I, I refuse to accept that. I, I didn't bring an offering. I refuse to allow this to be this lamb to be made an offering in my stead." I, other than John, that's as far as I could have went. I, I'd have never got any closer to the Lord. I, I'd have never grown access. I'd have never went and experience the presence of God uh, uh, because I would not bring of the offering. I would not accept it. Uh, uh, but to that Israelite that was willing uh, uh, to come by the way of the altar. Uh, uh, oh, my soul, that priest to take uh, and he'd shed the blood uh, and pour the blood out at the base of the, of the altar. Uh, uh, offer a burnt offering, a sacrifice uh, unto the Lord. Uh, and then it'd be that very blood on the great day of atonement uh, uh, that that priest would take in uh, and sprinkle on the mercy seat uh, and access was granted uh, because of the sacrifice uh, that had been made at the altar. And I said all that to say this. At altar, pictures, Calvary. Can I say this? I, I know it's simple, but I'm just showing you the Bible. The, the, we don't get our doctrine from typologies, but uh, it sure is a blessing to see the typologies. Uh, uh, looking back with the doctrine in one hand, uh, it sure is a blessing to see God, that God's always held that doctrine. Let me say this. Here's what, the, here's what this altar is showing us. Without the shedding of blood, without coming by way of Calvary, that coming by way of the cross, uh, man will never be able to enter in the presence of God. There was nobody good enough, nobody smart enough, nobody rich enough. Uh, there had to be bloodshed. Uh, and do you realize that us, the New Testament, uh, priests and kings, uh, it's the same for us. The very first thing we had to do uh, in order to enter in the presence of God uh, is we had to come by Calvary uh, and accept the shed blood uh, of the Jesus' cross. Isn't that right? Uh, so we see the purpose of the altar. Said like this, the same can be said for the cross of Christ. While it does allow access to 
the presence of the Lord for those who put their faith in the shed blood. Uh, it bans, it prohibits access uh, uh, to those that seek to come to God another way. Uh, there's only one way and it's by Calvary. Uh, I've told you before, I've said it again, uh, uh, so many people today want to get rid of the blood. Uh, uh, they say, don't sing me the bloody songs, don't preach me a bloody gospel. Uh, uh, but it is the only way. Blood had to be shed. Isn't that right? So we see the picture of the altar. We see the purpose of the altar. But then I want you to notice with me the pattern of the altar. Now, I won't be very long this evening. Y'all looking at me like I'm going to be forever. I won't be long, I promise. The pattern of the altar. Now, I want you to notice something. The Bible said here in chapter 27, Thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. Skip on down. Uh, let's see, where was it at? Well, let me just say, I'll just tell you this. I don't believe I put the reference. Over and over again with the tabernacle, we've seen this, and it happens over and over again. Here's what the Lord tell Moses. Make it according to the pattern which I gave thee in the mount. Over and over again, Kirk, we've seen that. And we talked a little bit several weeks ago about that pattern. How that it was, how that it was patterned after the heavenly tabernacle. And we talked a little bit, if you remember, about whether or not there's some that believe that uh, there's literally a tabernacle in heaven. They some believe that. Uh, but whatever the case, we talked about how it was patterned after Christ. And everything we've seen has pointed in some way to Christ. Isn't that right? Now watch this. Here's where it get, here's where it becomes a beautiful, beautiful picture. Don't, if you don't get anything else, get this point right here. Now, here's what happened. Watch what your Bible said in verse number one. Doesn't it say something to the effect of, and thou shalt make? that right? Now, watch this. Who made it? Who made this altar? The people did. Isn't that right? The people made it, but God was the one that designed it. It's true the whole tabernacle. The people didn't just decide they was going to put badger skin on the outside of the covering of the tabernacle. That's what the Lord said do. Is that right? And here at this altar, the people made it. The Lord designed it, but the people made it. Let me show you something interesting. When it was all done, when, when everything was done, they, they laid the fire. Under, it's a burnt offering consumed by fire. They laid the wood on it. You know what happened? The Bible said the Lord sent fire from heaven. They didn't even light the fire. But for some reason, John, if he was going to send fire from heaven, surely he could just give them the altar. But for some reason, he had them to make it. Isn't that right? They made it according to his pattern. That's interesting to me. He sent fire from heaven. In fact, that fire never did go out. Did you know that? Uh, and if he can do all that, surely he could just give. Why did he make them make it, Leona? Why did man uh, have to make it uh, if God was going to light the fire? There must be a reason. Well, what's it picture? It pictures the cross. Now, I want you to think for a minute. Here's what man did. God lit the fire. But here, I tell you what man did do. They did make the altar. That right? They made it according to the pattern. They put it in place, put the fire on, put the put the wood there. God sent the fire from heaven, and then the priest put the sacrifice on. It's 
stay with me. You're looking at me like I'm about to bore you to death. If you'll hang with me two minutes, I promise I'm getting to the good side. I just got to lay a foundation. They, they made the altar. They, 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 they put the wood in place. Uh, in fact, the priest, even after the fire was there, the priest put the sacrifice on there. But God's the one that lit the fire. That's interesting to me. I got to think about that, and I thought somebody must have made that cross they hung him on. Kirk, somebody somewhere must have made that. Is that right? Man made the cross. Man come and took him in the garden. Isn't that right? It's what the Bible said. Man came and took him in the garden and led him captive. Uh, man scourged him. Man beat him. Man mocked him. Uh, man done all those things. Isn't that right? Man put him on the cross. Drove the nails in his hands, drove the nails in his feet. Uh, man set him up, man suspended him between heaven and earth. Uh, but I tell you what man did not do. Man did not kill him. Is that right? Man did not have the power nor the ability to take his life. In fact, the Bible said uh, that he laid down his life uh, willingly. book of Hebrews said that he sacrificed himself. The gospel said that he gave up the ghost. Isn't that right? Uh, man did not take his... What a picture we have in this altar. Uh, God let him make the altar. Uh, God let him lay the wooden place. Uh, God allowed them to put the sacrifice on the altar. Uh, but it was the power of God uh, that consumed the sacrifice. Uh, are you seeing that? Uh, do you realize that God uh, allowed mankind to take him God allowed mankind to make the cross God allowed mankind to take him and scourge him and beat him God allowed mankind to lay the Lamb of God on the cross of Calvary but it was the power of God when he willingly died freely gave his life sacrificed himself gave up the ghost there's only so much that man could do isn't that right I told you something a minute ago. I told you man made the altar, but God designed it. Is that right? That's important. Here in the tabernacle, Moses didn't come down the mountain and say, all right, we're going to have to have somewhere to make a sacrifice. Tell you what, let's do. Let's make it about yay big, about like this. About, uh, he came down the mountain and he said, this is what God said to do. God has a plan. God has a design. And it ought to be followed. There's a pattern that must be done. Can I say this? Just as it did not, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just say this. Jesus himself said, listen to what he said. I know it's familiar. Just listen. Jesus himself said, for God so loved the world that he gave. Isn't that right? Listen to me, it did not take God by surprise. John, there was not another plan. God didn't scratch his head one day in heaven and say, oh no, they're going to kill him. What are we going to do now? God allowed it to happen. That was the plan. That's the pattern that was laid out in Exodus 27. When God allowed man to build the altar, God allowed man to place a sacrifice on the altar uh, uh, but God was the one that consumed it. Uh, and the plan the, the pattern was set uh, and the cross happened according uh, to that plan. 
Peter tells us in Acts 22, Acts 2, verse 22 and 23, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God, among you by many miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Listen to verse 23. Him being delivered. Now listen to this. I like this. By the determinate counsel. Well, wonder who he's talking about. The determinate counsel. Here's what Peter's telling us. He's talking to the Jews. Here's what he's saying. He said that Jesus as among you did all those miracles, all those things. Uh, he said when he was delivered, uh, it was by the determinate counsel. Uh, I'm just about to see him. I'm just about to see someone poke their chest out uh, and say, oh, he's talking about the chief priests and the scribes. Uh, what a good plan they come up with. Uh, look how they turn the hearts of the people. Uh, look how they caused Pilate to do their bidding. Uh, uh, look what they did. Uh, look at the scheming and the, and the, and the conniving that they done. He's talking about them. It was their determinate counsel. But that's not what your Bible said. It said him being delivered by the determinate counsel and for knowledge of God. You know what Peter said? He stepped out and said, ye men of Israel. So he's talking to He's talking to the very ones that crucified him. And he said, you may think you did some great thing. But before the foundation of the earth, God had already predetermined that He'd already ordained. It was already in the plans. Everything happened right according to schedule. He was supposed to die. God's predetermining that. And God's foreknowledge. He never scratched his head. He never wondered. He was supposed to die. Isn't that right? It's laid out in the pattern of the altar. Ye have taken, Bible said by the full knowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. You know what Peter told him? He said, Everything you got, everything you did, that's because God wanted you to do it. Now that ought to make you pause just a second. Everything you did because God wanted you to do it. He wanted him to die. Is that right? It wasn't a it wasn't a victory. It was all going according to the predetermined counsel and the foreknowledge of God. Everything was running right according to schedule. Can I show you something? There at the cross when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you realize that wasn't a surprise to him? He had known Chris before the foundation of the world. Now, how that that would happen. Now, do you realize that uh, everything was just running right according to... I'm getting ahead of myself. But what about the fact that God gave men the ability to crucify his son so that his son could redeem the very ones that crucified him? You ever thought about that? Surely God allowed men to crucify us, give, him the, give them the power, give them the authority, give them the ability to crucify his only begotten son uh, so that Jesus would be able to redeem and atone for the very ones uh, that crucified him. What about that? They thought they'd won a great victory. What they didn't realize was God had won a victory for them. Is that right? My soul, all that's laid out, listen, 
Man might have built it. Man might have put the, put, put the offering on the altar. Uh, but it was God's power and God's authority and God's ability to consume the sacrifice. It was a pattern that was laid out. Uh, and the pattern was fulfilled uh, at the cross of Calvary uh, when sinful men with wicked hands, the Bible said, uh, uh, crucified the Lamb of God. Uh, uh, but it was all according uh, uh, to the foreknowledge uh, and predetermined determined counsel of God. God allowed wicked men to slay his son so that God could say what a blessing. I'm not done, believe it or not. I really am. Man could not have laid their hands on Christ at all. The purpose and the permission laid out by God. And the fact that Jesus willingly laid his life in the hands of sinners to be slain. Let me say this. He wasn't forced to die and they didn't kill him. Isn't that right? He willingly laid down his life. All of this is pictured in the altar of burnt offering. What love we see pictured here. I want you to really grab a hold of this just a minute. That God purposed and planned. Before the foundations of the before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God had already purposed and already planned that his son would die to redeem sinful man. Let that sink in just a minute. I'm not trying to be funny. You may know that. I'm not trying to give you some new thing. But that'll sink in just a little bit. Before Rodney, that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God had already purposed. Already planned in his heart that he would give his son to die to redeem mankind from their sin. My soul, what love. That he'd allow wicked men to lay their hands on his son and crucify him in order to redeem those very wicked men. My soul, I said it like this. Before the foundation of the world, God purposed and planned to allow his son to be murdered at the hands of sinners so that those very murderers could stand, could be atoned for and reconciled back to God. No wonder Paul said in Romans eleven thirty three. listen to this, Here's what the Apostle Paul said. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You stop thinking about that just a minute. Before the foundations of the world, God had already ordained, already had the foreknowledge to know that You just imagine so many times we take some little thing that happened and we get up in the morning. Let's just be honest. Any one of us got up in the morning. We went outside and we had a flat tire. Why, we'd be so flustered and so messed up. It wouldn't even be funny. We'd be all been out of shape. And even if you knew how to change a tire, you'd still be thinking, well, here's going to be all this time I'm going to spend. Or you think I'm going to have to call somebody? Or can I get so-and-so to come? Or what am I going to do? You'd be flustered. But God, before sin ever was, already had a plan and a purpose and a way to redeem mankind. He saw Calvary before Adam and Eve ever sinned. What about that? Y'all ain't getting that. He saw Calvary before sin ever. 
beginning, before the beginning as we think of it. Uh, God had no beginning. He always has been. Uh, and there's never been a time God did not see Calvary. Uh, that amazes me. Uh, oh, the riches of the knowledge of God. Uh, this is what Paul said. Watch this. This is what he said. Let me read it to you so I don't mess it up quoting it. Paul said, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments uh, and his ways past finding out. Uh, you know what Paul was really saying? Uh, I couldn't understand it if I wanted to. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's beyond finding out. Uh, you say, Preacher, I can't understand how he could know uh, and see Calvary before Adam and Eve. Uh, I don't either, but that's true. Uh, uh, before the foundation of the world, uh, God had already purposed that Christ uh, would go to Calvary. My soul what love. Notice quickly tonight, fourthly, the parts of the altar. Now, here's what the Bible said. Notice verse number two. Thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same. Thou shalt overlay it with brass. Let's notice the parts of the altar. First thing we notice about this altar is, the Bible said that it had four horns. And what it's saying is those four horns were placed on the four corners of the altar. This is interesting to me. The altar had four horns made of brass on each of the four corners of the altar. Horns in Scripture are always symbolic of power. Always. Horn in the Bible is always symbolic of power and of mind. There's nothing more powerful than the gospel of Calvary. Isn't that right? This is what Romans 1.16 said. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Uh, now that word power in Romans 1.16 is the Greek word uh, dynamos. It literally means unlimited power. That's what it means. When Paul said it is the power of God unto salvation, what he was saying was it is the unlimited power. Power. Uh, there's no restriction. There's no uh, classification. It's unlimited power of God unto salvation. Uh, it's the same Greek word that we get our English word uh, dynamite from. Uh, and Paul said that's what the gospel is. Uh, it's the unlimited power of God. That's what Paul was saying. So we see the four horns, that the horns represent power. But notice what the Bible said. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said this, For the preaching of the cross, that's what that, art, that, that altar represents, the cross, is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Here's what Paul said. Paul said the gospel of Christ is the power of God, the unlimited power of God. What he said was, you preach the cross, to those that are lost, to the carnal man, that just seems foolishness. Let, let's think about it a moment. To think about a man, to carnally mindedly, thinking about a man dying on a cross to redeem mankind, that carnally, that seems foolishness. But to us that are saved, it is the power of God. Isn't that right? Paul said once you're on the inside, 
Once you go by the way of Calvary, uh, things begin to change. Uh, once you see him for who he really is, uh, you realize that he is the power of God. Uh, it seems weak to think about a man that would die. Uh, it seems weak to think about a man. Uh, in our minds, we think of a man that was, if he was that strong, uh, if he really was all powerful, uh, why wouldn't he just wipe the human race out? Uh, but how much more power did it take uh, for God to robe himself and flesh uh, and die suspended between two thieves uh, and redeem mankind uh, to those that are saved. Uh, it is the power of God. Isn't that right? Watch this. Notice the parts. Now, we're talking about those four horns on that altar. They represent power. The, the cross is powerful. The gospel tonight is powerful. Now, the Bible said these four horns were mounted on the four corners of the altar. Now, here's what's interesting. The the one and I the one here isn't right, and I, I'm gonna show you why here in just a minute. That would have been the gate would have been east. Each one of the corners would have been directed to where that it faced one of the one of the directions on the columns. One corner Kirk would have faced due north. One corner would have faced due east. One corner would have faced due west, and one corner would have faced due south. Now. We told you a minute ago, this is M.R. Dehan said this. It may not do much for you, but I thought it fairly interesting. He said that each one of those corners had a, had a, had a, had a, had a horn, one of these brazen horns. And each one of them pointed a certain way. He said that when you look at how it's laid out, you'd have north, east, west, and south. Here's what he said. He said if you take the first letter of each, uh, each of those directions, it would have been N-E-W-S. It spells new. Kenny said this morning the gospel literally means good news. Wasn't it good news to know that whether you're from the north, the south, the east, or the west, uh, the sacrifice had been made. Isn't that right? Uh, no matter where you come from, no matter where you are going, uh, no matter where you'd have been, uh, the gospel covered it all. Calvary covered it all. Uh, there was a there was a there was a horn on each corner. Uh, there was power enough for those to the north. Uh, there was power enough to those to the south. Uh, there was power enough for those to the east, and power enough for those to the west. Uh, and it is the good news this evening. Uh, 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 let me say it like this: uh, It truly is good news to all men uh, that Jesus died and rose again uh, to make reconciliation for sinners uh, with God. Isn't that right? That's the good news. Doesn't take long for us to realize we're sinners. Uh, but isn't it good news to know that a way was made, uh, sacrifice was made, and you can be reconciled uh, uh, back to the Lord. Now, that's not all we know about this altar. There's four, there's four horns, but there's also two staves. I won't read it for the sake of time, but here's what the Bible said. Each of those four corners, there was a brazen, uh, there was a brazen, had the Bible referred to it. Maybe a hook, I can't remember how it's referred to. You go, a ring, that's what it was, a brazen ring. What it was, Kirk, it was a circle that was fastened on each one of those corners. One on each side, two on each side. What they did, John, took two staves, two sticks, if you would. They covered it with brass, just like everything else. Made out of shit and wood, just like the altar. Covered it with brass. And they'd take and slide it through those brass rings. 
purpose for that, everything in the tabernacle was made to be moving. Isn't that right? That's why we talk about the pins and the cords and all the things that were done. Everything had to be able to be taken down and moved when the children of Israel moved. So the reason for the two staves was they had to pick this altar up and move it. So they run, they run those staves through on each side. You can come up and look at it tonight if you want to. They run those two staves through on each side. And it was so the priest, when it was time to move, the priest could pick up the altar uh, and carry it with them as they traveled. That was the purpose of these two staves. But everything, no matter how big or how small, points to Christ. Isn't that right? Everything in the tabernacle points to Christ. So there's something we can pick up here about these staves. Now, they were used by a priest to be able to lift and move the altar when needed. Now, we've determined that the altar itself is the cross of Christ. Now we see that if it's the cross of Christ, then it's to be carried with us uh, throughout this wilderness journey. Isn't that what you and I are supposed to be doing? Aren't we just supposed to be sharing the gospel with people? Isn't that right? Uh, I mean, we're just supposed be telling them that Jesus loved them. We make it too difficult. That's what the job, our job is, uh, is to tell others that the Lord loved them. Uh, there was a way that was made uh, and that he died for them. Isn't that right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, and so that's the picture tonight. Now in order then for, to carry the altar, there had to be two staves. Now I want you to imagine for a moment they just had one. I don't know if you can see it. Let me see if you can. Let me get rid of this lamb that's on here. It, I don't know if you see it or not, but there's two staves or a stave on each side. Now, if you imagine just for a moment, there was just one. The priest picked it up. Well, they wouldn't have been able to carry it. That right? Would have never balanced. Would have never been able to carry that, Ronald. If they didn't have two, so it took, it took people on both sides, they'd have picked it up, it'd have balanced. But if they just had one on one side, it'd have never balanced. It'd been hard to carry. Well, the picture tonight is, that's where the gospel is. Got to have two. Got, now, I don't mean you got to have two Gospels. I'm going to show you in just a minute. Got to be balanced. Is that right? How many times, I'll be honest with you, this kindly convicted my heart a little bit this evening when I was studying. One fellow, I've got one book I've got in my library. Here's what he said about it. John said, a preacher ought never preach a, a message on Calvary that he never gets to the first day of the week. What he meant by that, Kirk, was you ought never preach a message about the death and not get to the resurrection because the gospel becomes unbalanced. Is that right? He said a preacher ought never preach a message on the resurrection without first showing the death or the gospel becomes unbalanced. Is that right? It takes both. If he'd have just listened to me, I'm hurried, I'm just about done, I promise. Lord, I'm going to be done before 7 o'clock. Y'all just hang with me just a minute. Listen to me. If he hadn't have died, there would have been no resurrection. Is that right? And if he hadn't have resurrected, it wouldn't have mattered that he died. The picture is that it's tied together. The cross is tied to the gospel. And the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. Isn't that right? Paul told us 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Christ be not risen, our faith is in vain. Is that right? If he hadn't died, there'd been no atonement for our sin. Without shedding blood, there is no remission. The book of Hebrews said he had to die, but he had to resurrect. And all that's pictured in that altar and them two staves. Watch this. I'm done. Let me give you one more thing. I'm done. For tonight, we'll come back to the altar next week. Notice the priority of the altar, and I'm done. 
Well, he stated a while ago that the altar is the first, the first thing that one could have come to and enter through the gate of the court. Not only was it the first piece of furniture in the tabernacle, but it was also the largest piece. It was the starting point in man's journey to be in the presence of God. To avoid the altar barred all farther progress. Now, I know we've said that already. Now, I'm going to tie it in together. The very foundation of our faith rests in the death, burial, and resurrection. That right? The Bible said that when listen to me, when he died, he paid for our sins. When he was buried, it showed that, that, that signified John that we were buried with him. The old man died, isn't that right? Then when he resurrected, we resurrected with him to new life. That right? And listen, that's the very foundation of our faith. That's what sets us apart from all other religions. The fact that our Savior died, was buried, resurrected, and lives forevermore. That separates the whole thing. That's the foundation of our faith. Now, you say, preacher, what's all that mean? If he didn't die, then our sin debt's not paid. If he didn't resurrect, then our faith is in vain. We have no hope. I just want to say three little words to you, and I'm dying. But he did. Isn't that right? He did. He did die for us. He was buried for us. And he did resurrect for us. I've got good news. We ain't quite got there yet. But one of these days he's coming back for us. That right? My, my, my. All that's pictured there in that altar. Next week we'll look a little bit about the Lord setting the fire. We'll look a little bit about some of the things that happened there in the tabernacle. And then Lord willing, the week after that we'll get into the, the brazen laver. My, my, I can't wait to get, that's my favorite piece of furniture, I believe. I love that brazen laver. Can't wait to get there. I'll give you one little tidbit. I said it one time before, but some of you wasn't here. give you one tidbit about that brazen laver, just because I like to say it. Only piece of furniture in all the tabernacle, no dimensions are given for. None at all. Don't know how big it was, don't know how small it was, don't know how tall it was. No dimensions given for that laver. It's a picture of the Word of God. The fact there's no dimensions speak of the fact that the Word of God is inexhaustible. Y'all ain't getting that. It's inexhaustible. Men spent their whole lives trying to understand the Word of God, and it is absolutely inexhaustible. My, my, my. Let's stand to our feet. If musicians, they would.